What an honor it is to be with you here at the Missions America Conference. Part of me using this, this, this headset. Uh, but what an absolute life-changing message and messages that we've heard. Uh, if you received anything, would you raise your hand out of anything this weekend? I mean, I left last night feeling so encouraged, so on fire. Uh, he was speaking right to me. It felt like the whole sermon. I said, okay, well, here we are. Let's do this. Uh, but, man, it's been incredible. I give honor to this host church. Pastor Vasquez, uh, Bethlehem Church, thank you so much for your hospitality. Yes. You guys are top of the line, world-class people. We really appreciate you right now. Thank you for everything. Sister Vasquez slaying away at that, that stove, great food. Everything was, was excellent. I give honor to every pastor, every minister, every church that's represented here. I give honor to my pastor. Uh, and Brother Joe Perez, who could not be here uh, today, he asked me to speak in his place. And I said, hey, are you sure? And Brother Perez said, yeah, absolutely. I said, okay, well, let's do this. All right, let's go. So amen. Uh, I'm going to hand out a few handouts. I was working on this pretty late last night. Uh, I'm going to call out a city. If you could just raise your hand, you're Clawson. So you go ahead. Uh, Denham Springs, I believe, right here, right? Here we go. Kingsport, Tennessee, I believe it's Brother Vickers. We have uh, Madisonville, Brother Orr. Maryville, here you go, that's for you. I have a ton of pots camp coming up, don't you worry. Middleton, Tennessee, I'm not sure if the gentleman is still around for Middleton. Uh, Topeka, Kansas, there you go. Uh, Walnut, Mississippi, I'm not sure if that's still represented here. Okay, Wellston, Ohio, there you go. And I believe I have seven for pots camp. If you would raise your hand. All right, here we go. There's one. There is two. Was your thing? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. There you go. There's three. Yes, sir. There you go. Uh, yeah. Okay, okay, gotcha. I can airdrop it too if y'all if y'all need it. Uh, last so last night. Uh, as you could see, uh, kind of evidence, uh, they timestamped me on the top, unfortunately. But yeah, <laughs> yesterday, I, I could not go to sleep. I, be I believe the Lord was working on me on quite a few things. So at 2.05 in the morning, I don't know what time your timestamp says on top, but I was online looking at data. And I don't know where my life and what it has come to without my wife. But when my wife's not around, here I am looking at data at 2 in the morning, uh, unfortunately. So... Uh, we're going to talk about quite a few things, but before we, we jump into that, my name uh, is Ramsey Fakori. I was born and raised in Michigan. Uh, I've been a lot of places, seen a lot of things by, by heritage and culture. I'm Greek, Italian, and Jordanian, so all Mediterranean, all kind of over on the other side of the world. I am first generation in America. Uh, my parents, both of them, emigrated here uh, to America uh, mom was from Chicago. That's where they moved when their family came. My dad was from, from Detroit. Uh, so again, emigrated here, first generation. Uh, so that meant a first generation student in the school systems. I uh, come from a bilingual home uh, myself. Uh, I, am, I was not born and raised in church. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was the first in my family to come into church. Uh, my family was all, and, and for the most part still is, all uh, Greek Orthodox. So it's very liturgical. Uh, pray to Mother Mary, uh, they do the rosary and all those things. That's the culture that I was coming from. Uh, 
coming out of, coming from, uh, by education. Uh, I'm, I graduated with my Master's of Business Administration from University of Michigan, graduated with a bachelor's at Indiana Bible College, uh, currently pursuing a doctorate in business uh, in strategic leadership. Uh, but again, that was, uh, I, I, as I was telling Pastor Yadnerchek, I was a late bloomer in school. Uh, and I'll tell you, uh, just because it's all gonna tie in, uh, I was formally incarcerated myself. Uh, and I'd love to tell you that my journey was, was sunshine and rainbows. I'd love to tell you, man, I went to Bible college and I crushed it over there. I'd love to tell you that I did revival after revival. Uh, as a matter of fact, that just was not the case in my life. You know, uh, there, there came a point in my life where uh, it was not about relationship. It was about what I was doing. You get caught up in doing ministry that you lose relationship. And so, so you, you begin to get essentially spiritually dead and you know how to lift your hands and you know how to do everything in church and you know how to do all those things. But it's like David at the time of war, when you're so depleted and you got nothing left, you will start to fall for just about anything. You make poor mistakes. And I'll tell you, when, when life starts to go crazy and you, you're not sleeping and all those things, you will, will allow things into your mind that would just normally not be the case. So I'd love to tell you that my journey was, was sunshine and rainbows, but, but it was not. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I was incarcerated, and where my education journey began was while I was incarcerated. I said, you know what? I could do this. They, they, they brought a college program out into uh, Milan, Michigan, and they said, hey, it's called Second Chance Pell Grant. Second Chance Pell. That's for people who... Uh, uh, normally would qualify or maybe wouldn't qualify, whatever the case may have been, uh, but you were able to take college courses. And I remember uh, the very first class I had, it was called Cultural Connections. And in a, in a, in a prison, uh, I will tell you right now, segregation is real yes. in a prison. There are certain people you sit with, certain people that you talk to. You go into the, to the they call it the chow hall, the cafeteria, and it is like the Jim Crow South. If I could say that respectfully from the north. But blacks were on one side, whites were on one side, Hispanic were in one area, Native American were in one area, and then in those areas, in their own cultures, well, where are you from? Well, I'm from Michigan. So you, you sat at the Michigan table with your people, and they sat at the... So there was so much cultural diversity, if you will. And the very first class in a, in a college course inside of a, a prison, they're talking about civil rights. And you just don't do that. You don't. You don't in a prison. You just, you, it, it's cause for fights. I, I can't, I wish I could show you the imagery in my mind, but I don't know how exactly to do that. But in my mind, if you're in a classroom, again, all the whites were on one side and all the blacks were on one side, Hispanic and native kind of split the middle. And uh, uh, so he brings this up and, and a guy, uh, man, a big dude, just, Big dude, like wow, would not want to mess with him. Six foot six, just could lift the whole, you know, the whole compound if he wanted. It felt like, and he said to the teacher, "Don't you know where you are?" Yes. He looked at the professor. Don't you know where you are? Mm -hmm. And the professor said, "Don't you know where you are?" And the professor said to him, "You're in a college classroom right now." And if you, are, you can't talk about hard things in a college classroom as an adult, where else are you going to talk about them? How else are you going to go through them? So what we're going to talk about today is culture. And, and, and again, it's so much more than, say, just race. Uh, 
but there's more to what meets the eye here. And, and it's about connecting and bridging the gap and building a bridge. Because I'm here to tell you, I thank God for a church that when I messed up and I came home, they welcomed me back with open arms. Right? The hardest thing for a prodigal or a backslider or however you want to call it, the hardest part is to walk right through the doors again. Right? They, they, they feel the eyes on them. They feel the judgment. And even though the judgment may not be happening, they're thinking that in their mind, right? So they're walking and, and, and they perceive every glance. But I thank God there was a, there was a, a gentleman, uh, Brother Snitcher was talking about brash people. Well, the guy that, that was very brash was the first one that came and met me at the door and gave me a big old hug and said, hey, I am so glad that you are here right now. So before we get into anything else, no matter who you know, all know your churches and you all know the people that are, are in your churches, but the moment somebody who hasn't been there in a long time comes in, make it a point to go back and to hug their neck. Make it a point to connect with them, to hug them, to be with them. You might be their very last hope. You might be the reason they stay or they go away again. So that's what we're looking at. So jumping into the Bible really quick in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. And when you're there, you could say amen. Amen. The Bible says, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, Kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Above all these things, put on charity, love, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father by him. So this morning, we're going to touch on quite a few points and tangible ways you can create plans that enable you to create a multicultural church. So what's in front of you right now is what we call demographics. Demographics is more than just race. So the, the Bible says in Luke 14, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it, lest haply after he had laid the foundation, is not able to finish it, and all that behold it begin to mock him. So oftentimes, what we look for, and this is, again, some business principles as well, is we have to look at who we're actually reaching. Right? Yeah. right? The, the idea of we want to reach everyone is great. Yes. We all want to reach everyone, but just like most uh, uh, soul-winning campaigns will fail, is because it does not have a designated goal of who I want to reach, right? Businesses often sometimes fail too because their scope is too wide. They, they, they want to serve everybody's need, but really they want to serve one market or one person. So as the church, if it's a youth campaign, then the youth is going to go out and reach other young people. If adults come, that's great. But on the flip side, if it's an adult soul winning or a church soul winning, we need to focus on what are we really looking at? What, what's going to make the most difference? So in front of you, I don't know if, if as you kind of flip through a little bit, if there's a statistic that you see that kind of jumps out at you. Uh, if you're from Potscam and you need to kind of share or from another city, I, I, I have some other example ones you could use just to kind of peek at. I'll give you a... 
Oh, cool, cool. If anybody just needs a random one from a different city, I can give it to you. But uh, so, for instance, I, I'm looking at uh, let's say Walnut, Mississippi. I know that the average age there is 30 years old. But when I look at, you got to take out. Okay, well, there's there's 24% in Walnut, Mississippi that I'm looking at that are kids. Okay, hey. As a church, I know that 24% of my city are young kids. What can I do to try to soul win the parents of those kids? Is it a daycare? Is it doing a, a fundraiser where I'm going to do a date night and let all the parents in the city, if they feel comfortable, come to the church, we'll babysit their kids, they can go out on a date, or we can have a special dinner and do a special uh, children's service for them. We, we're looking at the data in that regard. If, if I look at, you know, again, Walnut, Mississippi, well, 14% are over the age of 60, well over the age of 60. How does that, that tie in? And I'll tell you personally, just from the city of Clawson, yesterday uh, I received an email from uh, an elderly couple in the city that said, we're begging just for some help to, to uh, shovel our driveway. We just need help. They're trying to charge $400 to $800 to do it for the season. We just can't do it. What can we do? Those are needs that is a, the, one of the best soul winning opportunities is just to fill the need and step into the gap. Yeah. So a, as you look, I'm kind of curious and my, my, my goal is not for me to just talk to you, but for there to be some sort of interaction back. Is there something in your paperwork that shows that, you, that might be surprising to you on your own city or something that maybe is piquing your interest? Now take a second and take a look. On the very back last page, I also included the jail rates and prison rates of your county, the county that you are in. And it'll tell you whether there was an increase or a decrease in, in the last 10 years. And if there's an increase in your county over the last 10 years, ask yourself why? And what is it that we could do to kind of help kind of plug the gap and make a difference? So take a second, take a look at that. I'm kind of curious to get some feedback on it, uh, if you will. Hmm? You're in the, the, I probably have it right here. One second. Oh, yep, that, that's it right there. So Oakland County for us. Anybody feel comfortable to share? Anybody? 71% of the children in our city are under the poverty level. Wow. 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 Really? Really? Wow. What did you say, Brother B? 71% of children in Cots Camp are under the That's massive. And if you look, you could see the poverty rate of your city on there. If the poverty rate of your city is very high, the way you bridge the gap, I, I, I'm not talking pie in the sky ideas. I promise you I'm not. And if you need help, I would be more than happy. I, I, we'll, we'll connect to something. But if the poverty rate is high in your city, you need a food pantry. You need a food pantry. The, 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 the state will literally give you money to buy the food, to buy diapers for kids that are under the poverty level, wet ones, uh, baby formula. I'm telling you, that is a huge thing. I, I think oh, we just started one in, in Clawson. Uh, do you have more details on, on the money that they're giving or that the state? Okay, well, we can get that to anybody that's needing it. We can find that for you. But that's a huge need. 71% of kids below the poverty level. What, what can we do? So again, we're looking at data as a way to actually use it for action.
if you will. Did you have something else? Oh. Did, anything else from any other city that popped out? Anybody else? One of the big things I kept looking at was how long people would drive to work, their average commute to work. Yeah, if they're willing to drive to work, they're willing to drive to your church, wherever it may be. If they're driving 30 minutes to work, a 20-minute drive to your church is not going to be a big deal in their mind. So now it actually broadens your reach of your soul-winning area to say, it's not just my city. What's 30 minutes around my city if this is the average that people are driving, right? Or, or, or the average median income, or uh, what is the average size of a household? All of these things matter when you're starting to look at, at soul winning and drawing in families. Absolutely, we are gonna go to every place we can find them, but there are sometimes that churches need families, and I say this very respectfully, very respectfully. We wanna meet people in the prisons, we wanna meet people in the community centers, we wanna meet people everywhere, but sometimes we just wanna meet a family on the street that can just come in. That, that the church is filling their spiritual need right away. You know, that it's not that we already have to pour all this into them, which we're gonna do as a church anyways, but sometimes we just wanna bring a couple, another young couple into the church, or another adult family into the church, whatever the case may be, because it benefits the body. So the first question you need to ask yourself is whether you wanna be a geographical church or a demographical church. What do I mean by that? Is your church just in the city just because it was a good piece of land, you found it, it worked out, you know, you're there, you're good in terms of location, you have the, the good property up, up there, or are you going to be a demographical church that's meeting a specific need for a specific city for a specific people? That's the number one thing we always have to come back to. It's all gonna be in the end to glorify the Lord, but Lord, what do you wanna do through us in this city? Because a church that's just there for the location and a big sign out front is not gonna be as intentional as a, as a church on a mission, which we've heard pretty much this whole time. A church that's on a mission is gonna be intentional and reaching. So uh, Brother Art kinda, he was, he was hitting on my notes quite a bit here. So I'm gonna kinda go through quite a bit. Yeah, <laughs> he read them yesterday. He, he said, hey, let me see that really quick. Uh, so demographics, as you could see on your paperwork here, doesn't just mean race. So, but, but let's talk about that. What, what happens if we do have somebody that's of a different language in our church and we have nobody to translate to them? We have nobody, we don't have, or we do, but we don't have the right equipment. Well, I did research for you, thank you. So I did that for you guys. Uh, you could buy translator sets if you have enough people where you could justify it. Translator sets on Amazon are $320, and you'll get multiple headsets. But if you have your phone and you have something called Google Translate, so I, I encourage you to download it. I'm pulling it up right now. This saved me pretty much anywhere I went. If you have, there's a camera button right here, camera button on the app. I can click camera, and I can translate whatever I take a picture of into the language I want it to go to. So if I'm wanting to translate into say Arabic or into Spanish, all I have to do is take a picture and boom, it's already translated. That's cool. wow. What is that app called? Google Translate. Google Translate. It's also the same app you could talk to and it'll talk back to them in their language. It's already there and it's a free app. It costs no money to do it. So if you have a Bible study and you're trying to talk 
about a Bible study with somebody and they are speaking a different language or maybe they're a little bit harder in English where they can't understand some of the more complex words. Well, let's take a picture of the Bible study and we'll communicate in our basic English to try to get through this Bible study, right? Does that make sense? Uh, another thing that, uh, and again, it's just a side tip. Uh, if you're teaching a Bible study, I also recommend you give them the same Bible you're using, if you can use the same Bible, and say, hey, why don't you turn to page number 820? That way they're not fumbling around trying to figure out where Chronicles are and where's you know, Hebrews. Turn it, let, let, let them grow into that, but it's kind of daunting when you're, I don't know how to get to where I'm going right away. So, uh, but we are raising a generation that's so used to their phone that they don't even know the books of the Bible by heart. And that's, that's another problem. We gotta, well, that's a side note there. So the word culture, as Brother Art was saying, according to Webster's Dictionary, means the customary belief, social forms, and material traits of racial, religious, and a social group. So in layman's terms, it's the characteristic features of everyday people in the same place. That makes sense? So, so everyday features of existence shared by people in the same place over a given amount of time. So it doesn't just mean race. It's characteristics shared by people over a period of time. It's an environment of like-minded people that are consistently in one place. You want a multicultural church? Go speak in a prison. They have a shared belief in that place. They have a belief that they need God, that they need hope, that they need to see what's, what's beyond. And I'll tell you, if you want to talk, because again, we're talking about culture. The culture in a prison is, I know I messed up. You, you, you go to a prison and they're all wearing the same thing. They didn't have to go buy new clothes. They don't have to fit in with the, the right thing. They don't need, they don't even have a, a, an iPhone or an iPad. You are eliminating all of the distractions, right? They, they know that they messed up. They're not worried about what they're wearing and all these things. They're specifically there to hear the word of God. And they're hungry. And those are the same people that when you go to reach them, you are going to end up drawing them back into your church. In a culture, some people are afraid, like, oh, they were, they were in prison. They are some of the hardest workers you will ever meet because they have something to prove. They have a chip on their shoulder. They're, they're wanting to get ahead. And so you want to invite that culture because, again, uh, it, it's, it's called a, it's a bias where we only reach people that look like us. As a matter of fact, it's a flaw of many leaders is that we only appoint leaders that look like us or that talk like us, or that think like us. But that is not so. It's, in fact, it's a, it's a bias that ends up hurting a lot of churches because now, instead of having diversity of thought, diversity of experience, diversity of mind, now you're just so, you're thinking the same thing, and, and all you're doing is you're developing leaders of yes men, yes men, yes. Oh yeah, that's a great idea. Oh yeah, that's a great idea. And you, you eliminate that out-of-the-box thinking at that point. As a matter of fact, when we, when we were in... Brother Vasquez's office, he was showing me, showing all of us the, uh, the Azusa Street books and all the books that he has on the book of Acts and all of these different things. And I, I couldn't help but while they were opening up the newspapers, glancing over the headlines. And I would have thought some of those headlines, I'm like, man, they're crazy over there. What are they talking about? It, reading in the 21st century, back at what they were looking at, what they were writing about. I said, man, what are, what are they talking about? But they were bold in their culture. And they said, here we are. Come on over. You're going to experience it for yourself. And I'm, I'm going to jump into this because we're getting ready to, to jump into one thing in, in uh, Galatians as we go through more steps. But one of the things that, that 
I've often noticed whether it was going to IBC or whether it was going to, you know, I, I've been around to other places, right? I've just been around. And I've noticed that sometimes when churches want to meet people, they will let go of, oh, you don't really need to do that. You're good. You don't need to, it's okay. You know, we, we, want, you to, we want you to serve, we want you to jump in. Why don't you just, why don't you just jump in? And I, I'm saying that in a broad scope, but I'll say it like this as well. In, in, in automotive, the minute you let go of a, of a standard or the minute you let go of something to reach people and to use people, it takes years to get that back if you can't get it back. Right. When you start making allowances and sacrificing what you believe, to reach the lost, the loss is, you're no, no longer impacting the loss, the loss is impacting you. And any, any type of policy you let go of, whether you're in a business or in a church, you'll be lucky to get it back or it's gonna take almost 100% turnover for people to start believing that again, right. right? For people to start going behind that again. So we're reaching the lost for them to come in to realize the difference. It's not the other way around. We want to make a difference in the world, but not to sacrifice the, the word of God, not to water it down, not to, not to throw it off to the side, not to tear pages out of the Bible. The Bible still says, be ye holy as I am holy, that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. I'm sorry even to my own parents. Mom, Dad, I love you, but there is only one name given among men under heaven whereby you must be saved. It is no discriminator of persons, in the way we sold when I, I try to reach my family, knowing that they're lost, but knowing that, Mom, yeah, I, I, I love you, and I want you to come through the doors. I want you to be here. You, you don't need to be perfect to get God. You get God to get perfect, all these different things. But, but yeah, like, this is what it's going to take. This right. is it. Right. It's baptism. You know, you go to a Catholic, you tell them, well, I was already baptized. I was baptized as a baby, trying to re-explain baptism uh, to, to them. Uh, there's no way around it. I'm sorry. This is what the Word of God says. So just keeping that in mind. So Paul here writes, and oftentimes when he'd write his letters, he would write to address the culture of that, that church, that age, that time, whatever that was. So uh, in Galatians chapter 3, the book of Galatians, uh, and Pastor Vasquez and I were, were, were talking, the book of Galatians takes place in modern-day Turkey. And it's written to multiple churches at one time. Paul is going in immediately. He eliminates most of his welcome, tell brother so-and-so, I said hello, uh, we love them, and we let, he, by verse 6. As a matter of fact, if, if anybody is already at Galatians, can you read uh, 1 and 6, if you're already there? This is chapter 1, letter just started. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of, of Christ and to another gospel, which is not another, that there be some that trouble you and will pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we... Or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have received, uh, that, that, that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Mm. He was addressing the culture right there. I marvel that you are so soon removed from the gospel, he says. What happened between the time I was there and the time I left? What happened? What, what, what went on that you are so soon now, now you're trying to receive another gospel? It matters oftentimes, even when, when, when pastors leave and wherever, that the culture that we have in place, even in the church, is welcoming, whether the pastor's there or not. That they're going to stand for the truth, whether the pastor's there or not. Right. Paul left, and he said, what in the world just happened? I marvel that you are so soon removed from the gospel. And then he goes on into chapter 3, 
And he's trying to tell them, why are you going back to this old way? Why are you going back to this way? He said, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. All of us are one in Christ Jesus. As a matter of fact, when you take this from a cultural perspective and you go to Romans chapter 1, up to Romans chapter 1 through chapter number 3, Paul is addressing the culture of the Roman church. Now, he wrote it to the Jewish Christians in chapter 1 through 3. Well, how do we know this? Because he was basically telling them that, hey, I know you've been in this. I know you have the law. I know you've followed it this whole time. I know you've done all of these different things. But let me tell you, the Gentiles that are now coming in are just as much heirs right now as you are. And then how do we, how do we see that? And then we go to Romans chapter 3, and we know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What he did was he leveled the playing field, Right? It doesn't matter all these things that happened in the past. Right now, we are all one in Christ Jesus. doesn't matter what, what color skin I am, what color skin you are, how old we are, our race, whatever the case is. At the end of the day, when we're all before the, 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 the throne of the Lord, we're going to all be crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And what, what, what would do us a disservice, and, and I'm preaching to myself right now and teaching to myself right now. I apologize. I'm passionate. I get this way. But what kills me is I lay my head in Troy, Michigan, looking at the border of Clawson. I live one mile away from the church, and I have a whole Middle Eastern community around me that is not being touched right now. And that, I take that on. That falls on me. I never want to lay my head down on a pillow thinking of what heaven is going to be like when I know there's a whole group of people that haven't even heard the message in my city. Right. That's a hard thing. Yeah. And that's, a, that, that's not, oh, pastor, can you set up a plan? That's, what do I need to do? Yeah. What do I, I need to take personal responsibility and I need to go. The, the church doesn't grow because of the pastor and the pastor's name. The church grows because we as one body, in one member, in Christ, are all going on the same mission to reach the lost people of our city, of our community. Even when they don't look like us and when they don't talk like us, whatever the case is, we're going to bridge the gap to make the difference. Amen? Amen. Amen. So uh, Genesis 126 says, God made man in his own image. It's translated as imago Dei, the image of God, imago Dei. Uh, all humans are made in God's image. Every person has value. Every person has dignity. Every person deserves respect. Regardless of all these different things, every person deserves that, right? At the very basic need. So where does it, how am I doing on time? Okay, I'm going I'm to hurry up. I'm going to hurry up. Sorry. So what it comes down to is an individualistic culture versus collectivist culture. What do I mean by that? That sounds crazy. So an individualistic culture prioritizes person, personal freedom, individual choices over the group needs. Does that make sense? I want to make my own choices regardless of anybody else. I need to get ahead. I want to get ahead. It's climbing the corporate ladder. That's an individualistic uh, culture. They focus on their own goals. So when you look at that, that's the United States, that's Canada, that's the UK, that's Germany, France, Australia, and there's more. So when you're talking to people from those different cultures, you're coming into the mind of they're an individualistic culture. They want to hear more about how your personal testimony impacted yourself. They want to hear how you got ahead. That's individualistic culture. That's how you speak to them. 
But when you're looking at, at, at again, uh, a collectivist culture, they value the group more than themselves alone, right? A collectivist says, uh, my community and my family come before my personal needs. That is where you'll find China, Japan, Korea, African cultures, Hispanic cultures, Middle Eastern cultures, Indian cultures, Filipino, Native American cultures. Basically, when you look at your demographic map, after one or a couple of races, everybody thereafter is usually a collectivist culture, more often than not. How do you reach a collectivist culture? You sit around the table with them and you break bread. You talk about stories. You respect their norms and their traditions. You, you talk to them. You, you, you have a conversation with them about how they fit in the whole group and what the group is doing. So personal story, uh, I asked Pastor Trackler, I said, hey, can I, can, I, can I tell this story? So again, I'm, I'm Middle Eastern a little bit, and so uh, we have, and I'm Greek, and we have a very cultural wedding. And in this wedding, there's a spot where people lock arms and they kind of do their little kick and they, they kind of move over to the side and they, they do their kick again. And it's a cultural thing that I had every, all the church people, faces red, they're laughing, they're looking around. But it's showing unity in the family. You are now, my wife is now coming into my family. We're unified. We're linking arms. We're connected. They... Uh, bless their heart, lifted me up, trying to lift me up. And I go back to the video and their face is all red and they're trying to huff and puff and they're doing all these things. So pastor was there, pastor Trex was there. And, and, and uh, granted, the whole church body will look to see what the pastor's going to do. They're, they're looking. You know, if, if he laughs, they're going to laugh, right? They're, they're I, with bated breath. And you know what pastor Traxel did? He jumped in there with us. And to this day, when I go to witness to my family who are not saved, that speaks volumes more than any sermon he has ever preached. The fact that he was willing to exit out everything else and enter into the world and just be a part of it. And to say, I respect your norms. I respect your traditions. I am with you here. I kid you not, that reached my family in Chicago, the, the family that came from New York, the family that came from California, and then all of my family here in Michigan. Now, when I talk about my church, oh, your pastor's a great guy. What did he preach about on Sunday? That opened a door, right? right? right. It opened a door. We, we met, he met my family right where we were. And that's sometimes the greatest thing we can do as soul winners, as people that are trying to reach another culture, is to meet them in their culture, not to make them feel bad about their culture, not to make them feel, what, but I'm going to meet you right where you're at. You know what the only, he talks, uh, Brother R talks about assimilation. Assimilation means to take everybody into one belief, right? When you would assimilate, you take away their thought and belief on one thing and you assimilate it into your culture. It carries a negative connotation in some aspects, but in most, we're assimilating only their spirituality. Their relationship with God is the only thing. Our goal is to assimilate somebody from another culture is that they would believe that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That's the only thing we're assimilating. We respect your culture. We respect your norms. We respect your traditions as long as it doesn't interfere with the word of God. But we are going to support you and we're going to be with you. And that's the thing that we often override. I've talked to, uh, you know, Brother Perez and people of different cultures. The hardest part is when they feel like they need to quote unquote, and again, I say this respectfully, that they quote unquote need to be whatever the, the races of the church. 
Oh, I need to act more white, or I need to act more Hispanic, or I need to act more whatever the case is. So, uh, personal story one more time, as, uh, uh, it was 9-11, I was in fourth grade, going into fifth grade, when September 11th, I know it's crazy. Where, where were you at September 11th? There was a, a couple of young people in our youth group that were like, I wasn't even born, and that made me feel ancient. I, I never asked that question again, <laughs> unless I'm, I'm with adults. But I was, uh, I was a young guy, and 9-11 had happened. And uh, man, I felt so terrible to be considered Arabic at all. I hated the fact that I was like, I remember going home and seeing it on the news, and I looked at my older brother and I said, man, I wish, I wish we were never Arabic. And he said, what did you say? I said, yeah, I wish I was never Arabic. Like, look at this. Look at, look at the way that they're talking about us. Look at the way that they're treating us. Look at the... And I remember, as a young guy, that, that kind of messes with you, right? It messes with you a little bit. That I made it a personal mission to be more, quote unquote, Americanized. That I stopped hanging out a lot with family. I, I, was, I wanted to become a better baseball player, a better basketball player. I literally neglected tradition and culture because I was ashamed of it, right? I was in fifth grade getting in fights because people were, you're, you're terrorists. I said, what'd you say? And I'd get up in, in the bus, get ready to fight right away. Fighting at, we had a rock thrown through our window. Nobody knew it. They didn't know us. They, they, a year ago, they were all inviting to the birthday party. Now, because you're, you're somehow a different culture, that you're less than? Right. And there's that, there's that feeling that comes there. So when we're reaching the lost, we want them to know that we value them. Right. Right. We value them right where they're at. We're not asking them to be something that they're not. We want them to come into the fullness of the knowledge of the glory of God. Amen? Right. That's what we're, we're wanting to do. So I know I only have a few more minutes left, but uh, we wanted to, oh, wait, what time does this go to? So you've done it. Oh, okay. Okay, 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 all right, all right. So uh, there is a, a gentleman, he is a, a social scientist. His name is Scott Page. Uh, and if you have a chance, read his uh, article on diversity trumps ability. Diversity trumps ability. He proved mathematically that diverse groups outperform a, a single type of group that all believe the same thing. They call it a homogeneous group. He's saying, even though you might have people with a doctorate degree, you might have the best woodworker, you might have the best carpenter with you, you might have the best of everything that you need, all within your certain in, uh, circle of friendship and influence. He said, actually, when you diversify your group, you get another really good carpenter from another group and a, another good word worker from another group and whatever the case may be, he said actually more often than not, and he proved it mathematically, that they will almost always outperform the other group. Because people with different thought process and different mentalities know how to do things in a different way. And it's the same thing in a church. I, 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 shouldn't, I, I shouldn't ask somebody, uh, hey, you know, how do you reach the Japanese culture? And they don't even have any influence in the, the Japanese culture. Hey, there is nothing that would stop you from going and, and, and reaching out, finding a local community college, reaching out to a, a Japanese instructor to say, how do people in your culture respond to church? How can I be most effective? You go to the culture, ask them, let them talk to you. Let them say, I've never seen an educator turn somebody away from more education. Just haven't seen it. And so when you want to know more, just ask at that point. So again, the, the idea is to be a bridge builder. We want to be bridge builders. 
Not every sermon you preach, not every lesson you teach is going to be a home run out of the park. But as long as it's building another plank on the bridge, you're doing the right thing. You're just building another, putting another plank on the bridge, putting another plank that when, they, when they're eventually ready, they can cross over onto the other side, right? So unity and diversity means celebrating differences while finding common ground. When you embrace it well, diversity strengthens communities, organizations, and any society you put them with. Uh, building unity requires intentionally seeking to understand different cultures. You need to set out to actually understand what's going on. Why, why, why do you do that? Be inquisitive. Be a student. Be a learner. Just imagine. Hey, walk me through that. Why do you do that? I'm curious to know. I, I just want to know. My, my, my question was to a Catholic person, hey, why do you guys, uh, I, I didn't say you guys, because that's, I said, hey, why uh, do you pray to a saint? I'm, I'm curious. I said, I, I was Greek Orthodox in the past. I just never understood why. why. Why do you do that? And they said, well, you know, thank you for asking, because most people don't, don't, don't ask, but uh, we pray to saints because they're going to pray to God on our behalf. I said, hmm, what do you mean? Well, you know, like St. Thomas is the patron saint of this. So when we need that, it's like taking our prayer request and they put it on a silver platter and they take it to the Lord Jesus. And they, they're praying to the Lord on the request we gave them. I said, okay, now I'm inquisitive, but now I know why they believe it and now I can actually preach on it. I can now actually talk about it. The, the hardest thing is to talk about something that we don't know about and miss it completely, right? right? We talk about something we don't know about and now it's way off and now we've offended somebody at that point. So I said, you know, that, that, that's odd. Where did, where did you get that from? Because the Bible says there's only one mediator, that the veil was torn, that we, we, we enter in this way. Well, what do you mean? Where's that at? Boom, go to the Bible. Well, our priest doesn't talk about that. Yeah. I said, so, so I have a question for you. So what, what book do you guys use? Well, they have a big old green catechism book. Then they have the Bible. And they were taught that the catechism book is actually more reliable than the Bible. I kid you not, word for word. I will find you a source or, or whatever you need for me to say that. But they believe that this was handed down from generation to generation. Is there some validity in that? Yeah, so they, they, they believe in that liturgy and that liturgical thing that uh, even to be a pope or to be called into the ministry, there has to be a, a laying on of hands that came all the way from the pope way back when it first started, all the way on down, that their, their big thing is about tradition, but it's not always rooted in scripture. It's not always rooted here. And as a matter of fact, it was a cultural split where you ever even got to Protestant. It was Martin Luther saying, that's not in the Bible, prove it to me. And he was bypassing, he was, he was, he was challenging the uh, culture of the time. Does anybody know that story? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not trying to be like the historian right now, but does anybody know why the church even split? Okay, that's good to know. That's good to know. If you didn't, I encourage you to go look up Martin Luther uh, and his theses that he nailed onto the door about why. About why he, he said he was challenging, you can't buy your way into heaven. You can't buy, you know, allowances. You can't buy these things. So go back and look because that's essentially where the church actually split at that point. And then you also, cultural differences can create church splits as well. If we're not careful. Even, even uh, the church in Rome, Rome said, we want to be the head of the Roman Catholic Church. And, and, and Constantinople, I believe, said we want to be the other. And they called it a schism, I believe, of 1033, where both churches split. And so now you have the head of Roman Catholic and the head of Greek Orthodox. 
It's the same thing in the, the apostolic generation and the apostolic Pentecostal movement where they, there, there came a moment where the cultural, something happened culturally, now you have three different branches or four different branches of organization that all believe the same thing, but they look at, they look at organization and they look at liturgy and how they, the church should function differently. Now you have multiple at that point. I, 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 that was a complete sidebar. That was free. I apologize. All right. Let's get back to it. Let's get back to it. <laughs> so you want to greet people in the way that feels normal. If I go up to a Spanish person, I say, hola. You know, like, bro, just be yourself. Just be yourself. Hi, how are you? If I find out that they're Hispanic, I'm not going to say, hey, tell me something in your language. Where, where can I find the best tacos? You know what? Let's get tacos after church. Like, don't do that. Just, just don't do that. I mean... I don't, I don't really have to get on that, but just don't do that. They want to know you, and they want you to respect them as that person. They don't want you to see them as Hispanic. They want you to see them as American. Yeah, right. yeah. I'm with you. Citizen of the same country. Just talk to me. Just be with me. I, so that's all that they want, right? And so it's just being intentional in that way, intentional in meeting them where they're at. So uh, I know that we're getting ready to have service here. I don't know if that service is starting at, at noon or if we're... At, I think it's 11.03, so I'll go just a, a, a hair longer. You get to come in, then we'll ask some questions. Absolutely. So listen well to understand different worldviews. If your church doesn't have an all-nation Sunday, I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to have an all-nation Sunday. You know what? Even though they live in Potts Camp, Mississippi, they might have a heritage from a whole different culture. Worship the Lord and the King of Kings. So listen well to understand different worldviews. Be slow to judge. Embrace humility. Make decisions consultively. Consultively. People want to know like, that you are actually considering them and what they're believing. Uh, and that, that you're not kind of marginalizing or pushing them out. Uh, so a majority of, of groups should, should try to preserve their culture, but strive to push the values of the Lord. So how do we know this again? Uh, Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, people from many nations heard the gospel in their own language through the Holy Ghost. Our differences don't divide us. It brings us together. It, it, our uniqueness makes us a, a strong body. You know, uh, what, what makes people oftentimes think, oh, this is a cult or whatever, is when you ask somebody the same question and they all give you the same answer. That's odd to people. When every person you ask, they give you a cookie cutter answer. They, yes, we all know the ways of salvation. We all know this. We should know this. We know the scriptures. But if we're always, well, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, right away, right away, right away, we walk them through in our own way. We walk them through in our own way. Everybody teaches, they might teach the same uh, Bible study in their own way, with their own words, not off the, the, the script always. And so oftentimes that's another thing that will help uh, when we can learn how to take the message that we know Take this and use our own words to describe it, relying on the word of God. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and 11, that's where Jews and Gentiles are reconciling. Christ broke down the dividing wall of hostility between the groups, making peace and creating one new body. We saw with the Samaritan woman, where why are you talking to me as a Jew? Why are you talking to me? We see that when, when Paul confronted uh, Peter the faithful, what are you doing when you're around the Jews? You're acting more like the Jews. But when you're around the Gentiles, you're acting like they're not even there. 
That's something that as leaders, I even myself need to be consciously aware of. That when there's visitors in the church, I need to make sure I'm not just hanging out with church people. I need to be intentional to go and talk to the visitors for them to say, hey, I know that there's somebody else that's actually wanting to come and talk to me. Because it's easy to stay in our own realm, our own comfort, our own areas. We don't know how to pray for people or talk to people. Well, the worst thing, you, you just go out and try. And if, you, if you're not confident, ask your pastor, hey, how do you talk to other people? How do you talk to non-church people? How many people in here were born and raised in church? Okay, how many people were not born and raised in church? Okay, we have a pretty good group here. We have a pretty good group. For those that were not born and raised in church, uh, what was it that compelled you to stay? Was it relationship? Was it preaching? Was it worship, I guess? Brother Eddie brought me in. Friendship. Friendship. Yeah. Amen to that. Anybody else? Um, looking for a family. Our yeah. Church provided that. So. Amen to that. Looking for a family. Our pastor uh, was a youth pastor at the time when I came into church, uh, and he preached a message: Ab Abercrombie, Hollister, and me. Now. <laughs> I don't know if that even means anything to anybody in here right now, but that was a thing. And he, and he had all of these empty bags on the platform, empty bags. But they're all like the Hollister bags and all that. And I walk in and I met brother Jeremiah, Jeremiah, Aaron, Moses, all these different, I couldn't remember anybody's name. I just met everybody. And, and I remember walking in, again, coming from the cultural perspective of a Middle Eastern, Greek and Italian, Family means a lot to me. I'm not used to like music in church. As a matter of fact, I was a CEO, Christmas and Easter only kind of guy that went to church. I, I went through the line multiple times for the communion bread. Uh, that was where I was coming from, right? That's what I was doing. So I, 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 I come to church and, and everybody's raising their hands and I was like, man, does everybody have a question? I'm gonna be here forever. I was like, I was genuinely concerned. I was concerned. Then this, this live music started, and I was like, okay, where am I? What's going on? And praise and worship was cool. People were like doing this number and doing this number. I was like, okay, I have no idea what's happening. And so uh, I'm not trying to toot his own horn. He did not pay me for any of this, I promise. Uh, but he, he preached a message, that, what profits a whole man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? It was the word of God that kept me in the church. Wow. It was the word of God that said, man, I've been racing through high school where it's all about climbing this ladder and being the best in everything you have, being the best football player, being the best player in anything, trying to be a better student. I had heard all these things, but I had never heard what profits a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul. Then I realized that no matter how hard I work, what, what is the cost gonna be? And it was the word of God that actually kept me coming to church again and again and again. And again, the cultural connection came with the body, but the message stayed the same. And that's what I want to drive home again. And I'm so grateful for a church that, again, that welcomes and does all of these different things. And I'll end with this. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, we must learn to live together as brothers and sisters or perish together as fools. Right. We must learn to live together as brothers and sisters or perish together as fools. Uh, I appreciate each and every one. Uh, I will say the last thing, last little bullet point, if you could write this down. Everybody is looking for these three things. 
identity, pride, and self-esteem. Identity, pride, and self-esteem. Aristotle, way back when, talked about it as living, interacting, and thriving. If you could take the new members of your church or the cultural members in your church and allow their identity to be in him, to let them have pride in who they are and a self-esteem in the body of Christ, you will always win. Wow. Amen? Amen. I appreciate everyone. Thank you for your time. Uh, I apologize if I went a little bit over, but is there any questions that anybody has? I think that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing. Uh, but feel free, reach out to me afterwards, uh, whether it's anything about prison ministry, about youth ministry, about just being first generation convert, whatever the case may be, uh, just feel free to reach out. Uh, the last, I guess, sorry, I have, I'm full of these one, one pointers right now. The last one point of the last one point. Uh, uh, in culture, your last name means a lot. Your, your, your name has significance. And I remember when I became incarcerated, one of the hardest things, the, the, the hardest things was A, when you know the word of God and you mess up, it plagues you. It rolls around in your mind and it hits you hard. Like you know, you know the word of God and you know you messed up. It, it's something that it takes a while to say, hey, like you will act, you'll repent, you'll fall on your face, you'll do all of these different things because that, that word is not gonna leave you alone. The, the, the grace of God will pursue you, even in your worst failure. Right. He will pursue you, he will overtake you, he will let them know, he will let you know how loved you are. But in the physical world, when you hurt your family name, there's a hard part to that. It's hard, it's hard when you, you're, you're ruining a, a, a legacy or a heritage, whatever the case may be. But when I graduated from college, it was the first in my family ever to graduate from college, it was the greatest feeling of my life. To see the joy restored in a family once again. See the joy restored and that only comes by the grace and mercy of God. Amen. Amen. I am done. I'm going to take this off. I promise. Uh, any questions? Amen. I'll turn it over to Pastor Jackson. Thank you. Amen. Great job. Great job. Great teaching. Amen. Inspiring us. Amen. The Lord is so good to us. And so much good things have been spoken today. Uh, we don't need to add on to that. I, I will tell you that the Missions American Department here at home is working to bridge the gaps into the multicultures around us. <clears throat> we are all Americans. We speak different languages. And so what we're trying to do, we're trying to connect really good. Right now we're working our, our, our initiative is Spanish-speaking. We're trying to get really good young men, Spanish-speaking young men and women, to come to English-speaking churches, to connect that way, and have a, a type of hybrid daughter work going on where that young man would reach around the areas for people that speak Spanish, bring them to your church or have Bible studies. You would, re you would be their pastor. If you're a pastor, you would be his pastor. Uh, and he would work with you to reach uh, the demographics around your, around your church. Right now we've got uh, some Spanish-speaking people. I don't speak Spanish, so it's hard for me just to dive in there. And, 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 but I've got, I've got a plan for a young man to come to our church and I'm going to work with him. He's going to work with the demographics around our church, and we're going to work together. So if you're an uh, English-speaking church and you want uh, a, a young man to come and be a minister and help you with that, Brother Joseph Perez is, is, is working with young men, uh, trying to get them into the, 
just into leadership roles so we can, as a church, I mean, look like what heaven wants us to look like, which is uh, the United Nations, right? They're all around the throne, different languages, worshiping the Lord together. So that's what we're doing, and so we're excited about what's happening with missions.